Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Simsisms. Sergeant General. You know, all in all, yeah, I think it's a positive that Woody comes out, makes that statement, right, gets everybody to step in line. Salah's still the Sergeant General here, and let's act accordingly and finish the season off strong. Uh, by the way, I'm no expert in the military ranking system. You use that term sergeant general from time to time, which gets me seven to ten emails on average that there is no such rank as sergeant general. There is a sergeant major general. It is a mostly unused military rank, but sergeant general is not a thing. I actually did think I, I've been made aware of that before. I don't care. It made the point. And sergeant general sounds even tougher and more important than just one of them by themselves. <laughs> That's great. There he is, Sergeant General Look at all those. David Sims. Look at all those medals. Weighed down by all of his decorations. Look at everything he has done. Man. Hey, when you're the emperor, you can give yourself all the decorations you want, Sims Jong Un. So you're good to go. Yeah, Sims right. Jong Un. That's right. I'm always, I'm always honoring myself <laughs> as the great military leader of NBC Sports. <laughs> All right, dear leader, let's get through some of the stuff that's very important in Week 18, and that is the number of starting quarterbacks from teams that have their playoff spots clinched who will not be playing, including presumptive MVP Lamar Jackson, 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy, Joe Flacco won't play this weekend for the Browns, Patrick Mahomes takes a seat for Blaine Gabbard, and Matthew Stafford out, Carson Wentz in for the L.A. Rams Hey, you got to keep your guy healthy. I mean, that's the balance. Keeping your guy healthy versus keeping him in his routine. You still got to practice some, ideally. You don't want to shut it down. You don't want to treat it like back-to-back bye weeks because you don't want your guy to be rusty, especially especially the guys who won't be playing in the wild card round. It's one thing to take advantage Agreed. of an unexpected bye week. Yeah, right. Of a way to get a little rest and protection before a wild card game. It's another to say we're going to take a de facto buy before the buy we've earned, and it's going to be three weeks between our quarterback playing in games that matter or games at all. I think that's definitely the one that I look at, right? I mean, you know, Rams not playing Matt Stafford. Uh, that, that, that's not a concerning thing for me. Last week of the regular season, get your team healthy, get yourself ready for the wild card football game, right? You know, same with the Cleveland Browns. Certainly understand that. And I want to make it clear that I'm all for, like, when in doubt, rest your guys and make sure you're healthy. But 
yeah, what you're talking about scares scares me to death, right? This this was not a thing for a long time. You know, it it was rare. Every now and then you saw it where oh wait. This team's got the one seed locked up or the two seed back in the old days, and we're not going to play at all the last game of the regular season. That was few and far between as we grew up and even into the last five or six years. But I feel like because of social media and how you could be targeted that way, coaches are more scared now than ever to do that type of stuff because they don't want to be vilified for why did you play this guy in a meaningless game or a meaningless moment. But I'm with you in that. If I was Harbaugh or you know Shanahan, I, my quarterback would play a few series. He would, you know, a, as I've mentioned many times, like New England used to do when they had a one seed locked up. Brady and company play the first half, right? Second half would come around, we'd see them on the bench, and that was it. But yeah, I just think that's a long time to go without playing football and being in the process of pregame warmups and everything that we talk about that get you prepared to, to play your best football. Let's hear from Kyle Shanahan, coach of the 49ers, on this question of resting players, especially as you're preparing for the bye that you've earned. You know, you work hard to get a, a, a off week in this league. Uh, I think off week helps a lot of people, especially if you handle it the right way and stuff. And just this time of year, and uh, allows guys to get a little fresher and stuff, which what you don't want is two off weeks. Um, no one gets two bye weeks, and we earned ours next week. We just didn't know we were going to do it already. Um, so we got to make sure we get something out of this week. And we've been in this situation before where we earned a bye week. It was in 2019. But we didn't know we earned that until about 8.30 at night on the last play of the game versus Seattle. Um, it was the first time it hit us. When the play before that, we might have been playing that Saturday. So we were very thankful we earned it that we need that rest, and we got it that week. Um, Yes, we're in that situation, but we already know we're there. And so that's why guys' minds got to be right this week. You don't, two bye weeks isn't good for anybody. And that's why this isn't one. Yeah, look, um, it's not an easy thing because, as you said, there's so much criticism now that could potentially be heaped onto coaches who continue to play starters who get injured, especially in the immediate aftermath of this Bradley Chubb. Exactly. That's what I was going to bring up. He's still in the game. Right. Right. So as I said yesterday, when you look at the balance of the things you can get criticized for as a head coach, it's more likely and more easy to get criticized for playing the starter and getting him injured than resting your guys and having people after you lose in the playoffs, in the divisional round, as the one seed at home, connecting the dots back to – Aha, if you just hadn't rested your guys in week 18, we'd have won this game. That's a much fuzzier, much more vague, much more subtle, and much more easily overlooked point than you played Lamar Jackson, you played Brock Purdy, and you got him injured in a game that didn't matter. Yeah, uh, uh, I think that's the, the, the point, and I think it is, you know, the Bradley Chubb situation, the way Mike McDaniel is getting roasted by Dolphins. I mean, I had two or three Dolphins fans this week. I just can't believe it. What the hell is Bradley Chubb and Tua doing in there, you know, in that point of the game? So that that's definitely on, on the minds of, of a football coach. And I think you explained it right, you know, when you got to deal with both of those situations – uh, the one you're going to get more criticism for is, oh, your guy played and he got hurt, and now you're not at your full strength. 
for your divisional playoff game or whatever. Shanahan and company, right, John Harbaugh, what they got to tinker with is just, you know, that formula of, yeah, do you want to practice some of your starters this week kind of hard, acting like you're going to play? And then next week you take a, a little bit of an easier approach and then re- rev it back up for the divisional round? Or do you this week kind of go, hey, rest, starters, rest, take it a little easy. We'll get you a few reps here and there. And then next week during our bye week, do we have some really intense practices and maybe even a full full pad practice and do it that way? That's what they got to kind of juggle in their mind in the process here of, you know, what do they want to do with this next two weeks of free time here and how do they want to approach the workload? I think is very, very important. And I wouldn't want to give my guys too long of an extended period of time off. Like, oh, hey, here's a four-day weekend or anything like that. That would scare me to death. I've been a part of that, and the first practice is always, like guys aren't firing off the ball pads are low guys got off of their details and we're you know not quite firing on all cylinders and if I was a head coach that would scare me to death Brock Purdy is going to practice that's Kyle good Shanahan explained that good. yesterday they're not going to shut it down completely good and he he expressed you know they asked him well wouldn't it be helpful for a guy like Trent Williams 35 years old to have back-to-back bye weeks and Shanahan said no no did you see how he played when he had three or four weeks off due to injury no you want to keep guys going you want to keep them moving so I think a lot of it is going to be go through the week as if you're playing and then once they get to the game they'll have a cameo appearance we know Brock Purdy's not going to play we know Christian McCaffrey's not going to play because he got a calf strain McCaffrey says that if it was a game that really mattered he'd be able to go but a lot of the other starters, Debo Samuel said he's playing. It looks like Trent Williams is going to play. But I don't think guys are going to play very much. It'll just be a drive or two, and that's that. But they've gone through the motions of preparing for the game. So it's not two straight weeks of not preparing for a game. You prepared for a game. You didn't play very much. We got you out of there before anything bad could happen. And now we'll focus on our bye week and the opponent to come after that in the divisional round. So that's, the I think, the smart balance to not just give the guys two straight weeks off because then it may be too difficult yeah, to, to get it started again, especially yeah. when, as we've been saying, you've got somebody coming in who just won a playoff game. Right. They got nothing to lose. They got a full sweat. They're ready to fight, and you're cold, and you're, you're flat-footed, and you've got all the pressure on you, and all it takes is one early uppercut, and you're done. Quite possibly done. Right. It's just a different vibe. If you let it, if you let well, it creep in, let's throw let's throw like a little context into the situation, right? Because I mean, our our you know Pete and company in the back, they did like a cool little thing where they they listed some of the quarterbacks, right, who have sat the last week of the regular season. Right? You could see the the success rate is is not great. The only team there that won the Super Bowl were the 2009 Saints. Now. The 2004 Eagles won the divisional game 27-14 and, of course, got to the Super Bowl. The 2020 Chiefs also got to the Super Bowl, right? But played very average in the divisional game. And if it wasn't for Sims Jong-un in that game against the Cleveland Browns, they could have easily lost and and, and were on the cusp of losing uh, to the Browns in the divisional round after not playing the last game of the regular season, right? You know, that was the Chad Henney great scramble at the end of the game to kind of close the deal for them. But the 2019 Ravens, they don't play Lamar the last game of the regular season. They lose to the Titans in the divisional round. 
You know, the, the Steelers, right, didn't play Ben Roethlisberger in 2017. That was the year it was going to be the epic showdown between them and the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Oh, they didn't get past the divisional round and lost to the Jaguars. So we've seen this happen. The Packers in 2011 did the same thing. Giants came into town, smacked that ass a little bit, and their 15-1 Packers went home. So, uh, again, that's, that's, uh, that's a scary list to me, and that's why it's yeah very important how you approach this practices this week and keeping your guys fresh and, and on details. 2009 is on there as well. The Saints, the year they won it over the Colts. If you remember, that was the year that the Colts were closing in on perfect season. Yeah. And pulled their starters against the Jets in the third quarter at the direction of Bill Poley and the GM of the team. For whatever reason, he didn't want to go for the brass ring. He didn't want to go for 16-0 and and after that, 19-0. and And ultimately, the Colts lost in the Super Bowl to the Saints. Now, I don't know that it would have been any different in Super Bowl 45 if – or 44, 45 was Packers, Steelers, 44 was Saints, Colts. I don't know that it would have been different in Super Bowl 44 if the Colts go into that game 18-0 and versus, you know, uh, two losses that they got at the end of the season. But that was a thing. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. Polian got dragged for a long time for that one because the Colts had their chance. They were 14-0, and and they deliberately took the foot off the gas halfway through that game against the Jets and squandered their shot at the at would have what would have been the second perfect sixteen and zero regular season. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. You're right. Now, in that year, right, even in week eighteen or the last game of the regular season, they lost. Peyton did play the last regular season game though a decent amount. And fourteen for eighteen. Yeah, he was fourteen for eighteen yeah. for ninety five yards in that game. And of course, that ended up you know being really one of the most exciting Super Bowls ever, right? I mean, it it really was. You, you had a few monumental plays in that game, whether it was the pick six, the onside kick, right? Pierre Garcon dropping a ball over the middle where he's going to score a touchdown, and you're going to go, oh my gosh, the Colts are going to blow out the Saints. I mean, there was just so many crazy things in that football game. It was a damn good one between you know Breeze and Breeze and uh, Peyton Manning. Well, remember how it ended. Tracy Porter jumping the route. Yeah, the pick six. Cutting right. in front of Reggie right. Wayne, and they blamed it on Reggie Wayne. Tracy Porter said after the game, that's a result of film study. I knew they were gonna, what they were going to do there, but it was never blamed on Peyton. It was blamed on Reggie Wayne because he didn't cross the face of Tracy Porter. Yeah, that was a tough Even one. Though that was Porter, on, on Porter everybody. Porter saw it coming. Yeah. yeah that's Porter on saw it coming, but it was never on Peyton. But it was never on Peyton at the time. And it's never – It was. I'm just. I just remember when I saw – Porter's comments right after the game in the press box when they're distributing the sheets as we're processing everything that's happening. We're posting content at PFT. I saw that sheet and I said, oh boy, that's, you know, this, uh, but it was, it was Reggie Wayne's fault, not Peyton Manning's fault. All right. Um, speaking of receivers, Puka Nakua is in position. And I know, I know it's in 17 games and not 16 or 14, but that's how many games they play now, folks. So records are going to fall. Puka Nakua is in position to break a record that has been on the books since 1960. The most receiving yards by any rookie receiver. Bill Groman of the Houston Oilers in the first year of the AFL had 1,473 yards. That record has stayed there for 53 years. Not Jamar Chase, not Justin Jefferson, not Anquan Bolden, not Randy Moss broke it. Puka Nakua needs 29 yards to break it. 
Sean McVay said yesterday when asked about whether Puka will play, I think you'd like to see him get an opportunity to do something special and then be smart with him. So he needs three catches to tie the rookie receiving record, 104, set by Jalen Waddle, but the yardage record that's been there forever, 29 yards. And so I think once he gets to 29 yards or more, he's out of the game. Calculated risk, but they want to let him finish the job here. I think it's a reward for him for having a great special season. And he gets that record, Chris. And next week, ballots due 5 p.m. Eastern Wednesday. Puganakua, C.J. Stroud. Puganakua, C.J. Stroud. He sets that record. I may have to tip the scales toward Puganakua. Yeah, I, and listen, it's it's a close. It's uh, it's amazing what he's doing, right? Uh, it's also, and I don't, I, you know, C.J. Stroud, him missing two games certainly hurt him a little bit, but still. C.J. Stroud comes out and throws for 300 yards this week, and they win that game and end up in the playoffs. You're going to vote for C.J. Stroud. I think you are. I am, if that's what happens. It's still special. At one point in the year, we were talking about C.J. Stroud being the MVP of football. That's kind of rare. Rookie, let alone quarterback. So, you know, Puka Nakua, what he's done is amazing. The Rams better be careful, right? Puka Nakua is the number one receiver on the Rams. He He's the guy with with – with Cooper Cup, you know, getting up there in years a little bit, and of course battling some injuries over the last two years. When I watch the film, Puka Nakua is the number one prime target for that offense. I would expect McVeigh, right, who's got a, an appreciation for a history of the game and all that. I, I mean, screen pass, another screen pass, little option route. Oh, we got three, four receptions on the first drive or two. You're out of the game. See you later. I would imagine that's how it plays out and they will make a focus on feeding him with some easy, you know, less risky type of plays early on in the game to get him that record and then get him the hell out of there. And I agree with you, this balance between Nakua and Stroud. What I want to do, first step, yeah. do the Texans make the playoff? Right. That's a factor in this. Yeah. Second step is to look at the final numbers for C.J. Stroud and put them in historical context for rookie quarterbacks. How does it stack up? with others who either did or didn't win the Offensive Rookie of the Year award. And then you balance that against what Puka did. It's going to be a tough call, and it does go three deep now. It used to be just a couple of years ago, one person, one vote. That's it. No way to acknowledge others. So I think Nakua and Stroud will be one and two, whether it's Stroud, Nakua, Nakua, Stroud. The question is, how do you distinguish between the two? And I think it comes down to how Stroud distinguishes himself relative to other great rookie quarterback performances. It's going to be a close one, especially if Nakua ends up with the record that was held by Bill Groman. And Pete has added this by way of context, because if you haven't heard of Bill Groman, you're not alone. <laughs> Bill Groman went to Heidelberg University. He did not intend to be a professional football player. He went on to become a teacher in 1958, he was teaching science for eighth graders in Perrysburg, Ohio. One day, he was approached to have lunch with a fellow teacher and her husband, Bob Snyder, former coach in the NFL. They had a catch, and Bob Snyder recognized Billy Groman's got something. So he made a phone call to a friend of his, Lou Rimkus, former teammate of Snyder's at Notre Dame, who also had been hired to be the head coach of the expansion Houston Oilers That's an expansion amazing. is the, not the right word because it was a new league it was a it was an expansion league right. Houston Oilers one of the new teams one of the charter members of the AFL so they were looking for players 
And we got this eighth grade teacher in Perrysburg, Ohio. This is amazing. That's oh, how scouting, scouting worked. That was scouting back in the day. Hey, let's go have a catch. <laughs> hey, old sport. Yeah, you can catch the ball, sport. Oh, okay. I mean, that's just amazing. He he had a catch with the guy in the backyard. It's, it's or almost. <laughs> I mean, when you when you think about that, the way you're saying it, it's almost like the old time black and white. Yeah, you know, seriously. Movies that were right, much right, jerky. Exactly yeah, like, right. They're taking they're taking oh. pictures like this out there doing that. You know. All well, no. Think about it. Think about it. I can imagine it. 1959, right? Couple of guys having a catch, wearing yeah. their dress shirt, you know, their their uh, their dress pants with a cigarette, with their you <laughs> yeah. know their hair real creamed up, right? You know, right. Um, so, uh, that's oh, amazing. Well, it worked out for Bill Groman. It did. And that it record, it's did. amazing to think. And I, and and no, it's an occasion to appreciate Bill Groman what he did in 1960. Yeah. Now, the AFL came in as a high-flying, much more offense-driven, and I think that benefited the NFL over the long haul. The NFL realized, hey, we better get like that or they're going to take over. Yeah. But, yeah, 53 years later, 63 years later, 63 years later, you've got Bill Groman's record still on the books, but it may only be there Incredible. for a couple more days. Yeah. Right. Incredible. Let's, uh, let's take a break. Week 18 props when PFT Live continues right after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. I have a little throwback Thursday all the way to 1992. I remember watching this game. I remember being excited for this game, thinking it could go either way. Bills at Dolphins. It did not go Miami's way. Right? This is the it was year, a long like, day. it was the third year in a row. Right you were like, Buffalo can't go to the Super Bowl three years in a row. They're not going to go down and answer the bell again, right? And they did. Here's Dan Marino. With that quick release, popped up in the air. Flea flicker. Intercepted. Look at Here, these dudes. Here's a flea flicker that did not go very well. No. You got to flick the flea yeah. in order to make that play work. Well, there's a big, big flea. There's a touchdown run by Kenneth Talley. Davis. Oh, he was good. Man. Yeah. Daryl Talley. Daryl Talley. West Virginia, great. Cliff Hicks intercepting Marino. 29 10 was the final score of the AFC Yikes. Championship game in 1992. Dan Marino, when he got to the Super Bowl in his second year, he thought he'd be back again and again and again and again, and he was never back again. And the Miami Dolphins have never been back again. This is the 50-year anniversary of the last time the Dolphins won a Super Bowl, but at least they have two trophies that they can stick in the faces 
of the Buffalo Bills who have none. Yeah, they did right, go to four right. straight. Was that Bowls, the which which was that the only AFC Championship game Marino played in? I'm just off the top of my head after the one going to the Super Bowl, right? I I, I don't. Oh, you know what? I think the next year they lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship. But so he played in three AFC Championships, right? One Super Bowl. Uh, but yeah, never got back to the Super Bowl after that second year, like you were explaining. I'll tell you right now. Okay. I'll tell you right now. Pretty eighty-five. Okay. So after to... eighty-four, yeah. After they were in eighty-five, the next year, Patriots. Remember that was going to be the Bears, yes. Dolphins rematch. Right. The only game the Bears lost that year. The Patriots had something to say about that, and it was great. It was an upset. Root for the underdog, and the underdog got the shit kicked out of them by the Chicago Bears in the Super Bowl. Right. So. Oh, well, we had a great AFC championship game, not a great Super Bowl. Uh, Coverage championship in 92, and that was was that for Dan Marino. Man. That was it. Incredible. Two more conference championship games, one upset, and one, even though they were the home game, a home team in 92, the Bills were the Bills, and the Bills showed it that day, winning 29 to 10. All right, some props for Week 18, and we'll start with the game we've been talking about predominantly today, the Bills at the Dolphins. Stephon Diggs over under of 60.5 receiving yards. He's been under 50 in four straight games, six of the last seven. He had 120 yards and not one, not two, but three touchdowns in week four as the Bills beat the Dolphins 48-20. to Are you over or under 60.5 receiving yards on Sunday night? I'm going to take the over here on this one. I am. Uh, you know, I think between one, I think there'll be a concerted effort and a big game here to kind of get him the ball a few ways, right? Maybe, you know, cheap ways, whatever. But I do think there'll be that there. I expect the Bills to continue on the track that they've been on, which is running the football. And I think that leads to teams playing some man-to-man. And the Dolphins last week, they played more man-to-man than they usually do against the Ravens because they were worried about the Ravens' run game and they wanted an extra guy to spy Lamar and stop his quarterback runs and all that. But, man, they got toasted in man coverage. I mean, absolutely toasted. Blue coverages, messed up passing things off. That scares me a little bit. I'm going to go over with Stephon Diggs. I'm going to go under just because I think at this point they accept the fact that it is what it is. Yeah, we got to right. work our way around okay. it, and we got to use these other guys to try to supercharge the offense against the Miami Dolphins. And that forty-eight to twenty from Week Four—that feels like four months ago. Oh, it that really feels like does. Four right? years ago. Yeah, just shows. I mean, football season—you get into that routine and rhythm, and it's one week after another week after another week. But you get to the end of the season, and September, October games—it's almost like they never even happened. They're relevant in the statistics and the standings, and they make the difference in tiebreakers and whatnot. But Everybody is so different by now than what they were back then. Texans at the Colts, big difference for the Colts. They didn't have Jonathan Taylor way back when, the first four weeks he was out. He's been injured some throughout the course of the season. His over-under for a game between two teams still vying for the AFC South Championship is 71.5 rushing yards. He's had 90 or more in two of the last three games. He was on injured reserve back in week two when these two teams got together in Houston. Yeah. Do you think it'll be over or under the 71 and a half rushing yards? I'm going to take the under here. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, of course, we know the Colts can run the ball, and Jonathan Taylor is extremely talented, but like the best thing the Houston Texans do is play run defense. I mean, they're, they're one of the best run defenses in football. They, they basically beg you and bluff you to throw the football. They really do. So I, I, I think if the Colts are to win this football game, 
You know, they're not going to be able to just ground and pound and wear the Texans out that way. Gardner Minshew's going to have to throw the ball, back them off, make some big plays in the pass game. I'm going to go under here because I, I think Houston will go all in to make sure Jonathan Taylor doesn't go off and control the game that way. I'll go over on this one as well. I mean, I think the Colts understand, and this is Saturday night. I so went under. Happens, yeah, I then, okay, I just wanted to make I'll go over. Okay. I'll go over. Right. You go under. I'll go over. I don't like it when we agree on things, but this is the Saturday night game. It's standalone. We get a chance to see Jonathan Taylor. We get a chance to see C.J. Stroud. All the Texans games had been at 1 o'clock Eastern this year. This is an opportunity for everyone to understand why C.J. Stroud is the current betting favorite to be the AFC, or not the AFC, but the NFL offensive rookie of the year. All right, Steelers-Ravens, that's the other game, standalone, Saturday afternoon. George Pickens, they've realized, they've learned, they've figured out the past few weeks Maybe we should get the ball in this guy's hands. He's had 131 receiving yards and then 195 last weekend in Seattle. His over-under is a mere 52.5. He had 130 and a touchdown week five against the Ravens. That was the game where they had him one-on-one, threw the game-winning touchdown to him down the right sideline. Kenny Pickett threw that pass. Mason Rudolph's been the guy who's taken over now. I'm surprised the over-under is only 52.5 based on what he's done lately. I'm surprised it's not significantly higher than that, which tells you I'm going over. Well, I'll go over with you as well. Uh, I think the Ravens defense, you know, probably a little bit of uncertainty of who's playing, how much they're going to play, right? The Ravens have shown they're pretty good at squashing, you know, big-time receivers, Right and and in an offense with their Steelers, where it's kind of simple and bland, and you would think they could squash a, a George Pickens in this type of matchup. But I'm going over the importance of the game for the Steelers, the way the offense has looked as of late, and yeah, I don't expect the Ravens to be going all in on game planning here, or you know who will be on the field in the third and fourth quarter when the Steelers are still pedaled to the metal, and the Ravens are like, all right. That was enough reps. We're going to put some backups in. Uh, I certainly feel the over with that one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Steelers need this one. And again, that game gets broken out and played on Saturday. There's no scoreboard watching to be done. Their mandate is go win. And then everything else takes care of itself the next day or it doesn't. But there's nothing happening at the same time where all of a sudden word starts to get around the sideline that none of this matters. There's no way we can get in. All right. Um, I was speaking ahead on the outline, and I lost my spot. Full transparency. I found my spot. Don't forget, on DraftKings Sportsbook this season, new customers can bet $5 and pocket $150 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code PFTLive when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. When we return, the crown is not the Eagles. A.J. Brown frustrated, and he had a lot to say about it yesterday. We'll give you that next here on PFT Live. Hurts, bends down, straightens up, bends down, takes it, fakes, he's going to run again, now he falls down inside the 30. I don't know what was called there, uh, and whatever, why. Yeah, whatever it was called, it, it doesn't work. Why do you not just throw the ball in this situation? Because you can. Hurts, takes the snap, he's back, he screens it this time to Gainwell, and it only goes down to the 25-yard line. I don't understand it. You saw at the tail end of that clip there, A.J. Brown shaking his head. His frustrations have been a focal point this week. Nick Sirianni addressed it earlier in the week and 
press conference, it felt more like a hostage video, frankly, than an actual NFL head coach trying to get the troops rallied up as the playoffs loom. Something is off with the Eagles. And I'm sure it's happened before, but I can't remember a team that was so elite for so long in a given season and just had the the bottom fall out. Losing four out of five, could have been six out of seven. We felt it coming before it came. Four out of five losses, and they are going to be limping into the playoffs. Whatever happens against the Giants on Sunday, they're going to be limping into the playoffs, and it's just a, a bad vibe hanging around this team. And a lot of people won't be surprised if they're one and done, even if that means losing to the none-of-the-above NFC South champion. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, again, you, you lose that way to the Arizona Cardinals, right, the second-to-last week of the regular season, yeah, anybody could beat you. You're at home, right? Number two seed NFC East title is on the line, and you get pushed around and dominated you know, by, by an Arizona Cardinal football team. No, There's no doubt, right? Something is going to have to change drastically that we don't see coming that is going to change uh, what, what the Philadelphia Eagles look like or how we view them. But right now, I mean, you know, the offense has been struggling and had not been quite as good as we saw last year. And the defense is being totally obliterated down the stretch here to where you know it was the most unbelievable defensive front and some of the things they were doing in the, early in the year, it seemed like it was impossible to do certain stuff against them. Now everybody's running on the ball on them. Everybody's throwing the ball on them. So, yeah, there's a lot of issues there in Philadelphia and uh, certainly didn't see it coming to, to this extent. Even when they were 10-1 and one and I was going, hey, it's not great. They're not playing good. I didn't think it was going to fall off like this. This is a, another level of you know disaster here the last four to five weeks. Here's A.J. Brown talking to reporters about the fact that he did not talk to reporters after Sunday's loss to the Cardinals. Have a listen. The reason why I didn't uh, speak to the media after the game because uh, – you know, I didn't want to be negative, you know. You know, I, 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 I had already transitioned to the mindset where uh, we were going through a tough time. And so me personally, the person I am, uh, who just know uh, I just have to go back to work, you know. And nothing I could do about it, you know. And uh, like, like I said after the game, I said I was raised. If I had nothing nice to say, I'm not going to say nothing at all. I'm not trying to make it worse than what it is. And so... You know, and then on top of that, you know, everything that I do, if I say something, I do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm classified as a monster. You know, honestly, you know, and it, and it's and it's honestly the, the the opposite. You know, you saw my frustration on the field. It wasn't about the play call. It wasn't about none of that. It was about my guy getting banged up. And we're gonna need. I'm gonna need Smitty moving forward. It took me a couple of days to realize. Like I, my my teammates are answering questions on my behalf. You know, I can speak for myself. I'm a man. So uh, so yeah. You mentioned that the, uh, the Devontae's injury was a reason for frustration at yeah. home. Have there been other reasons for frustration that you Of course. You know, I think that's another thing, too. You know, uh, another thing why I wanted to apologize, too, because uh, all you see is A.J. Brown frustrated with the Eagles. A.J. AJ this, A.J. that, you know, but everybody in the locker room is frustrated. So why are you singling me out because I'm frustrated? Like, just because I'm shaking my head, I'm showing emotion. You can look at everybody in the stadium has bad body language. They're frustrated, you know? And so, yeah, I wanted to clear that up because it's not about me. Like, we're all frustrated. That's a great explanation by A.J. Brown. And as he was explaining that, it reminded me of what someone told me once when 
both Randy Moss and Terrell Owens were under consideration for the Hall of Fame, and there was a lot of criticism of how they conducted themselves. Different guys, different ways of behaving in a way that rubbed people the wrong way. And somebody pointed out to me, during his heyday, Jerry Rice, the PR staff of the 49ers, they knew, they could sense it coming when he was going to go off after a game. They got him the hell out of there before he had a chance to go off. Right. So there was never a time where you viewed Jerry Rice as anything other than team first, everything's fine, everything's great, because they always got the bomb out of the locker room before the bomb went off. And that's kind of what A.J. Brown was trying to do. Let me get out of here. Let me not say anything because nothing I say at this point is going to be good for anybody, including me. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 you know, it's, it's a wise move when you're feeling that, you know, hot, intense, whatever, right, where you might spout off and say something you regret. Okay, don't say anything. Think it out. Let, you know, let things calm down a little bit. I'm not mad at him for that, certainly. I don't question where A.J. Brown's heart is. A.J. Brown, you know, yeah, we've seen some, you know, things on camera or whatever else, but he's never been a diva. I mean, A.J. Brown was the star receiver for the Mike Vrabel run the ball 75 times at Derrick Henry. You know, he's never been one to really do any of that. He's always shown that, hey, I'll be patient and wait my turn. I just want to win the football games. So this is not like I don't think anything in the case of maybe some of the, the antics we saw from maybe a Randy Moss or a Terrell Owens back in the day. I don't. Now, listen, is he going to be looked at a little more closely than most guys? Yeah, A.J. Brown, you're a superstar. The camera's on you more than any other player on the Philadelphia Eagles other than Jalen Hurts. So when you shake your head or show bad body language, that's what the public's really seeing unless you're in the stadium watch, you know, at the game. And I think he needs to understand that, too. Um, but, you know, all in all, I don't question where A.J. Brown's heart is. He's a superstar football player. He's frustrated. And I don't think he's gone overboard with, you know, making it about me or being a distraction by any sense, sense of the imagination. And, uh, you know, I don't blame him for not talking after the game. It's hard sometimes. And it means a lot to a lot of these guys in the locker room, despite what people say sometimes where they're like, oh, they're pros. They're getting paid a lot. They don't care as much. And I want to go, no, these are the guys that led your college team and care the most. You're absolutely wrong. The counter to that is the league rules require all players to be available yeah, I hear that. during the week right. and yeah. after every game. Right. And the whole idea is, and, and it's funny because fans who are the intended beneficiaries of this policy, they will side with the team and side with the player. The whole idea is you want the media to have access to these guys when things are fresh so you get the most thoughtful and most real and raw reaction to the things that happen during the games. But it goes on from time to time, and it's only an issue if the local media makes it an issue or if the national media makes an issue, and everybody's kind of making it an issue with A.J. Brown. Here he is asked the question of whether he is upset about the number of targets. And before we play that, before we play that, remember this. He had six straight games of 125 or more passing yards, set the league record. That's a distant memory. The numbers aren't there now. So – are you upset, AJ, about the number of targets you're getting currently? Honestly, man, I don't even ask for the ball in the game. I don't even talk to, to Brian. I, I don't say nothing to nobody. Like, Smitty is the one vocal. He's the more vocal one. Y'all don't even see that. But <laughs> but I don't say nothing during, during the game. I don't ask for the ball, like, you know. But, but you know, if, if a wide receiver says anything, then, oh, he's classified as a diva. He's want the ball. No, like, maybe I'm holding my teammates accountable, you know? Like, like we have those tough conversations. But but if a quarterback does it, then it's 
don't nobody say nothing. But but if a receiver does it, then then it's the end of the world, you know. But you know that is what it is, and I can't control that. You know, I know who I am, and and I and I, and I try to push my teammates, you know. And I'm not gonna change who I am, you know. And that's what it is. Yeah, like I said last year, if you throw me the ball 105 times, I'm gonna win 106 times. That, that's me as a wide receiver because I feel like I can change the game in the moment. But if I don't get the ball, all right, he may felt like that was best. So there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not. I, like I said, I was not mad about the, the the call or whatever. I was upset at my partner going down. I saw he got rolled up, and now because I know I'm gonna need Smitty down the stretch. So that that's what it was, and people may not believe that, but I don't care, man. It's at this point, like I don't care. You know, I don't care. They gonna create whatever narrative, and like like I'm splitting the locker room and all this. Shit. That's that's bullshit. I really do appreciate the candor from I do too. Brown. He's yeah. a likable guy. He is. He's a great player. Right. He can't throw the ball to himself. That's right. And that's not a knock on Jalen Hurts. The offense isn't getting him the ball. And, you know, I said this earlier in the week. Great receivers, people think they're selfish when they want the ball. No, they believe that the path to winning is getting the ball in the hands of the best player on the field. And you've got to believe you're the best player on the field. To even be in the argument for best player on the field, you've got to believe that unquestionably you are the best player on the field. That's how it works. He wants a team to win, and he thinks the team wins by getting him the ball. That, you're, you're exactly right. You know, I've been around those guys. right? I, I was with Roy Williams at Texas. He was the number seven pick in the draft. If we won a series or two and he didn't get the ball, he was going to say something to the wide receiver coach and then make his actions known. And it wasn't about, oh, I want the ball because it's me, me, me. It's going because we didn't go down and score the touchdown or do anything the last two drives, and I'm the best player on the offense. You know, Joey Galloway, superstar receiver. I played with him in Tampa Bay, right? He had a little different approach. He was a little more quiet about it, didn't say a whole lot, but certainly could tell with mannerisms or his face, like, hey, he wants the ball, definitely. And he'd kind of get in your ear in a different way, right? than maybe making a, a statement on the sidelines or getting a little upset. But still, it was all about, I just want the ball because I'm the best player in the offense. Give me the ball. Brandon Marshall, I've told you stories about him. I mean, his head would be ready to pop off sometimes. His veins would be out here. And again, it wasn't about just, oh, I want the ball because I want receptions and it means something to my contract. Yeah, I mean, sure, that's in there a little, but it's more about, hey, I'm the guy that can make things happen for this football team. And, you know, hey, look, when I was the guy making things happen for the football team, we were a lot better offense, and then everybody starts to click and work. So that's where that comes from, let alone like you're saying. I mean, A.J. Brown's the best athlete on the Eagles football team. Uh, he's a freak. The receiver, the star receiver on a football team is usually the best athlete, the most freakiest, gifted, explosive person on the team, and he's that. And that's where that comes from. But I think with A.J. Brown, it all comes from a good place. Uh, it's not like a, a receiver throwing a quarterback or an offensive coordinator under the bus complaining that way. One of the reasons we thought that that might be the case, the hostage video from Nick Sirianni earlier this week included Sirianni tiptoeing around anything about A.J. Brown. You'd have to ask him that. You'd have to ask him, ask him, ask him. So they asked him yesterday about his relationship with his head coach, Nick Sirianni. Have a listen to that. That may be things that Nick probably want to fix about himself, and, and, and I'll say, but the one thing I can't respect, loyalty is not one of them. And I say that because um, he takes up for us 
when it has nothing to do with him and uh, he gets the blame, but that comes with, with, his, with his job, you know, and, and sometimes Jalen does the same thing. And uh, just like Brian, he get the, end, the wrong end of the stick sometimes when it be us. But cause I, like I said today, the coaches play, play zero snaps this year. It is not the coaches. It is us. People say I'm beefing with Nick. I'm I'm not mad at Nick. I don't I'm not mad at nobody. Like like we have a great relationship. Like I said, like I I got a ton of respect for, for Nick. Cause like I said, he take up for us when when it be us, you know? And I even said, for the for example, I'm 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 gonna get detail. For example. I know that's what y'all want anyway, but I'm <laughs> I'm gonna get detail. Uh like for the Seattle game. That was on us. Like we we messed that up. We 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 improvised and we went on our own and Nick came out and said, "Oh, I I, I wanted uh, to try to get a flag or something something crazy like that." It's like he really made himself look like look look like a fool for us. I have nothing but respect for him. Like you know what I'm saying? Because not all coaches do that. So it sounds like everything is good as it relates to the relationship between Nick Sirianni and his players, but. Clearly something is broken with the Eagles. They got a lot to do to get it together. The clock is ticking, not on week 18, on the wild card round. They got to figure this stuff out for the wild card round. And if they don't win the division, they end up the five seed. The reward, if they do win in the wild card round, most likely is going to be a return against San Francisco, the team that beat them 42 to 19 in their own building. So it just feels like there's a hard cap on what the Eagles are going to do this year. They could surprise us. Yeah. Hey. They wouldn't be the first team who went to San Francisco and surprised us, but it feels like they got a lot of work to do to get to the point where they can pull it off. It, it definitely does. It does. But uh, they got, you know, players in that locker room, as we've talked about, that are special across the board on both sides of the ball to where, you know, uh, I, I don't expect like a Super Bowl run here from the Eagles. I don't. But again, I don't want to ever count them out because of that talent and the pedigree they have on their team. And they did show us earlier in the year they can win a lot of tough, gritty football games. So let's see if they can regain some of that magic here. But right now, it certainly does look lost, and they don't look anything like the team we saw last year that we thought was really clearly the best team in football, and it really wasn't even a discussion until maybe the, the 49ers came in in the NFC Championship game and went, oh, this might be the first time in a while the Eagles could maybe lose a football game. That's how dominant they were. And like we said about the Dolphins at the start of the show, you bought them out and you hope you have enough time to dig out. Do the Eagles have enough time to dig out and get hot and have an opportunity to compete with the 49ers or maybe the Cowboys or maybe both by the time it's all said and done? Let's take a break. When we return, Titans coach Mike Vrabel was asked about his future in Tennessee yesterday or lack thereof. We'll let you hear what he had to say next here on PFT. Oh, you know, a situation has become a thing when people start spending their money on billboards. Decker reported. (laughs) And look, we we have nothing more to say about what happened. Chris and I agree on whose fault it was and where the responsibility lies and that the Lions flew too close to the sun on wings of pastrami. But if it gets the Lions fan base and in turn the Lions team fired up for the playoffs, it's smart to seize it and milk it and use it. Chris yeah uh, uh, agreed it gives them a chip on the shoulder no doubt about it and and I agree Decker probably did report but it also seems like Penny Sewell and uh number 70 skipper all reported too and that's not legal sorry uh but yeah it's given them motivation 
certainly, you're right. They've got something to say. It's us against the world. We'll see where it goes. But uh, as, as you know, as I know, I don't like those plays, and I want them out of football to begin with. And I had somebody react to that yesterday by saying, oh, should defenses also not disguise coverages before the snap? It's like it's not look, even the same thing. Like, get, get that person, give them my email so yeah. I can set them straight. That's yeah, stupid. All right. Okay? I, I will. I yeah. will. All right. Matchup draft for week 18 with plenty of scintillating games. Drama gal- Okay, not really, but there's still some storylines to focus on. Chris, give me one that you're looking at for this weekend. Well, I, I, how do I not look at just the McDaniel versus McDermott matchup, right? I think that, to me, is one of the, the matchups of the weekend. I mean, Sean McDermott, he's got a feel for this Dolphins offense. They've not been able to really go off on Sean McDermott at any point here in the Mike McDaniel era. So he's shown, wait, I know how to break it down. I know how to defend him a little bit. Mike McDaniel, the offense itself, has shown that teams, especially coaches that got uh, outside-the-box type of brain, right, thinking that way, that they have figured out Mike McDaniel, that offense too, and how to play it. What is going to be the answer for McDaniel? You heard me earlier in the show. Like, I think they give up on the run way too easy. When you're running for 150 yards, uh, you know, on on 20 carries, that stat line and a lot of these losses tells me you're not running the ball enough. You're getting too happy, pass happy that way. So that to me will be a, a fun chess match to watch on Sunday night. I'm going to try to go off the beaten path for some of these okay. because we've already talked about some of the bigger games. Yeah. So I'm going to start with. The HC of the NEP versus the NYJ. Because for his final game in New England, could be his final game, we still don't know. I think they don't know. I think the Patriots' ownership group still doesn't know what they're going to do. But we go into this thinking there's a good chance it's Bill Belichick's final game in New England, and here come the Jets, the team he coached for like a day before he became the coach of the Patriots. Will he go out with a bang? There's no way he can avoid the basement of the AFC East for the first time since his first season as coach of the New England Patriots back in 2000. But but you just can't help but wonder whether there's a little something extra from Belichick and company with the Jets. Of all the teams that could roll into Foxborough for the last game, potentially, that Belichick ever coaches in New England. Still no guarantee it's going to be the last one, but we go into it thinking it could be. Jet that there's just for a meaningless game, they don't get more meaningful. No, I it, it's it's you're right. Some there's right, there's some draft pick positioning here that can still be involved in this football game. Uh and it is crazy. It just it, it I I feel like I got no feel for what's going to happen with Bill Belichick either. Right, so that, that's where it's it's it is a strange feeling as far as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, coach in the history of football. We're not sure how his tenure is going to end. You know, after controlling the greatest dynasty we've seen in the sport, uh, that is that is crazy. Kind of when you when you say it out loud. Um, all right, I think the one I'll go with here. You know, I'm going to go with C.J. Stroud, right, versus the middle linebackers of the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, give something a little different here. EJ Speed uh, and Zaire Franklin, who are really good football players. But I think they're the ones that they got their hands full in this one. And why I say that is Colts defense, hey, they can rush the passer, 
They can create some interceptions because they can rush the passer. They don't like the blitz a whole lot, but this is a different animal. That play-action pass and the Texans' run game are both working really damn well. they got to have a big game in stopping the run and then also not overcommitting to the run to stopping C.J. Stroud, who's one of the best play-action pass quarterbacks in football. Here's another matchup from a meaningless game. Jared Stidham <laughs> going back to Las Vegas. Whoa. And there was some sound yesterday from Antonio Pierce saying, hey, we can't wait to welcome him home. Max Crosby wants to see him. But hovering over all of this, Antonio Pierce's future, there's more and more smoke about a possible run at Jim Harbaugh to be the coach of the Raiders, mutual interest there. What the Raiders are able to do against Stidham. If Stidham plays well and the Raiders lose, does that set the stage for a run at Harbaugh? Can Pierce cement his job? Can Stidham prove he's the quarterback for the Broncos next year? Again, another meaningless game that has some deeper meaning especially for 2024 let's take a break we've got one more round of the matchup draft next here on pft live all right matchup draft week 18 chris what else you got i'm going to the bears and the packers right you know my afc man crush team is the cleveland browns right it's in your face it's like screw you we're not going to give you a yard right? We're going to just, we want negative yardage every play. Chicago's a little like that too, right? And I look at this game and go, like Green Bay ain't going to run the ball in Chicago. Nobody runs the ball in Chicago. The best run defense in football. Now, what I want, the matchup is the wide receivers versus the DBs of the Bears. The Bears have an all-pro corner in Jalen Johnson. He's phenomenal, right? The rookie Stevenson's really good. They're going to be in your face man-to-man against the Green Bay Packers. Can they beat them? Can they get open against them? That's going to be the interesting thing. Christian Watson, is he going to be healthy? Because he's, of course, their best man-to-man uh, scare you guy. That is something that I'm going to watch because the Bears are going to challenge Green Bay. They challenge everybody. Another game that isn't completely meaningless because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are trying to win the division, but you've got Baker Mayfield taking on the Panthers, the team that traded for him last year. Things didn't go well. And I know Mayfield has matured. He's a very viable candidate for comeback player of the year. He's got the ribs injury that may or may not impact him. I think he'll play. They'll shoot him up. As long as Dr. Needle doesn't put that in the wrong spot, everything should be fine. However, This one has a little added intrigue for me because I fully expect at some point during the course of the game, if things go well for the Buccaneers, Mayfield will do something by way of a celebration or something on the sideline that will be a reminder of the owner of the Panthers throwing a drink on fans. Ah, Some way, somehow, that's got to make its way into the touchdown celebration or sideline. We know some sideline antics from Baker Mayfield in the past. There's got to be a reference by Mayfield to David Tepper throwing a drink on fans. It's got to work its way into this game somehow. That would be funny. Very important it would be. Point. I hope that. Come on, Bucks, Do that as a touchdown celebration. Entertain us out there. <laughs> we got to take a break. More PFT Live right after this. I know where we're at as, a, as an organization. I'm excited to, um, to, to build this thing and to fix this thing and, 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 and get it uh, – to where we want it to be, to, to win championships with, with Rand and Chad and A-Rob and a coaching staff and, and everybody. And that's that's what our goal is. So, um, But but no, the, the social media and, and where that is, and I, I, I can't focus on that. Of course I want to be here. Be here as long as we can win and long as we can 
you know, do this thing. And it's uh, it's been great, but it also has been you know, just just frustrating this year. Nobody nobody wants to be where we're at. Hard to read his demeanor. It's kind of holding on, holding on tight like he's on a roller coaster to that podium. Look, it's not a simple situation, but I don't think it was an accident that this year is the year the Patriots put him in the Hall of Fame, the team's Hall of Fame. And there's been chatter that I've heard, not from social media, people with deep ties to the NFL, years and years and years of connections to the way things work, Chris, who told me, I got the email on July 4, July 4, if things go sideways with the Patriots this year and Bill Belichick, don't be surprised if Mike Vrabel is the guy they really want. And that's been out there. That's not just social media yeah, no, spewing right. ideas. Right. There's a there's a belief out there that that's a direction Robert Kraft could go. Yeah, I mean, he would, or at least try New, to go. he would fit the New England way. Of course, he was a great player there. We know that, right? He's a damn good football coach. Let's not forget, it was just two years ago they were the number one seed in the AFC. In a year where I don't think we looked at them as a number one team. They've done really well there. Their team hasn't been that great the last two years. That's it for today. Picks pod coming later. See ya. See you then. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.